Welcome again to Big Ideas in App Architecture. I'm your host, Tim Vale, and I am very excited today to be joined by Greg Mojica, the CTO and co-founder of Alloy Automation. Uh, now, Greg, you and I had a chance to kind of catch up a few weeks ago uh, and had what I thought was a great conversation. And we really kind of started by um, kind of learning a little bit about you know, what you're doing today with Alloy Automation, um, kind of what your background is. I thought, you know, you've got, a, a, at least in my mind, a very fascinating founding story. Uh, kind of the timing of it all was was kind of interesting. So maybe let's get kicked off by just, you know, tell us a little bit about you, kind of, you know, certainly Alloy Automation, how it all c came together. And then, you know, as, as the podcast certainly is titled, we'll, we'll maybe spend a little bit of time talking about uh, architecture and software and all the other stuff. But first of all, I'd love to just hear hear about you again and, and how you got here. Thanks, Tim. Interesting story, kind of how we got here. Uh, my background, you know, I'm originally an engineer. So, uh, you know, wrote code uh, way back, you know, starting like 2009, 2010, that era. Um, got in basically when the App Store was a big thing. So I started on iOS development um, when all the rage was, you know, the iPhone. And this is around that time when the App Store had launched. And so, a lot of good stuff, a lot of exciting stuff happening at that uh, that point in time. Uh, obviously, pivoted into uh, web development. Uh, you know, went to, went to a work for a company called First Data, big financial services business. Um, and uh, so, uh, you can you can look me up on online. You'll see that I guess I shouldn't lie about my age. I'm relatively young still. Um, so I ended up actually not going to college and going directly into industry. Uh, and that's where I went, ended, ended up landing at uh, First Data. And um, we uh, did a whole bunch of stuff there for a few years, everything uh, from their developer APIs to uh, some of their marketplace tools, you name it. Um, and I always wanted to start a company. Uh, my co-founder and I are longtime friends, and we thought to ourselves, you know, we both had experience in the commerce space, mine at First Data, which ultimately became Pfizer. And she had worked at Wish previously. And so we kind of you know, joined forces and you know, started to think about some of the issues in commerce. Uh, and we really realized that automation and integrations were a huge problem. Uh, and there's a bunch of tools out in the space today, um, but what we realize is that a lot of these tools are not very good for uh, the, the, the complex requirements that a lot of commerce companies need. And so we thought, put our, kind of put our heads together and said, let's, let's build a prototype. We uh, got into YC. So this was 2019. Um, really, this, this initial project was was a side project at the time. We didn't anticipate it to be a company. We knew we wanted to start a company, but we weren't sure that 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 uh, this would be the company and we weren't sure how things would pan out as, as things typically do. Um, and so we built this thing, uh, launched on Product Hunt one day, got to number one of the day. We were totally shocked, blown away. We thought to ourselves, okay, maybe there's something here. So um, around that time, we actually had uh, had one of the founders of Webflow reach out and said, look, you know, if you if you build this, I'll uh, fund it. And this was kind of the, 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 the moment in time where we started to realize, okay, maybe that we actually have something on our hands. So you know, it had some exciting traction. That was what drove us to apply to YC. We were very fortunate to get into YC. Um, and so we did the Winter 20 badge. And just do me a favor, because I mean, I, obviously being in, in the startup world for a while, I've heard of YC, you know, but I don't think a lot of people, may, maybe they do, I have no idea. But just for a second, I mean, kind of talk a little bit about YC is because it, it is really fascinating. But I, again, I'm not sure that everybody kind of understands the concept there or what it is. So YC is Y Combinator, uh, and what it is is basically kind of a, uh, a famous, famous incubator out in uh, Silicon Valley. Um, they're based in Mountain View, uh, and they funded you know, basically all of the major success startups in the past decade. Um, so things like Airbnb, 
Dropbox, um, you name it. I mean, the list, there's just hundreds of companies on this list, right? And so getting into YC is a huge amount of approval from the perspective of, hey, you know, they're they're backing you. Uh, and then they give you this you know, great network of other founders and, and just network um, and you know, advice and mentoring and so forth that really is, you know, pretty invaluable, especially when you're starting off and, you know, you're not necessarily sure what, uh, you know, how things are going to go. Um, so this, it's basically a three-month program, and they have two batches. They have one in the summer and one in the winter. We did the one in the winter. Uh, and it, it's, it's interesting because you think of it kind of like a very structured program, but it really is whatever you make of it. It's kind of like college in a way. Well, I guess I shouldn't be saying that, though, because I, I didn't go. <laughs> but um, it, it is, it's basically whatever you make of it. And so uh, it, it's an unstructured program in the sense that they have programming, but you can kind of come and go as you want. Um, they have, you know, they, they bring in some of their previous founders. So we had, you know, the Airbnb founders talk to us. We had oh, really? a whole bunch of other founders kind of speak neat. to us. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, and then they, you know, they do one-on-one mentoring and they, they coach you basically through building your product. And the companies that are in this program are companies that are, you know, they're just getting started. They're, these are typically not companies that are, you know, established or, you know, in a market already. They have no product. Maybe there's just one or two founders and that's it. And so, you know, they're coaching you through how do you build that first, you know, prototype get the first customer how do you iterate how do you raise money and go from there and of course you know as i'm sure you're going to continue telling i mean you guys picked kind of a uh, i don't know fortunate or unfortunate year to to kind of get things kicked off i know we talked a little bit about that before but so i mean 2019 we all know what what comes uh, of course later in the year in 2019 or at least what's named for that so yeah what what was kind of you guys got in got started then what happened well, it's funny so we get into yc Right. And I'm, you know, super happy. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm like, you know, ecstatic, you know, my co-founder is ecstatic. We're, we're like, this is, this is the best <laughs> we thing made ever. It. We made it. We made it. <laughs> and so we're, we're super excited. We get into YC and then, you know, everything's going great. You know, January, so we did the winter batch, right? So it's you know, January to March. Oh, okay. So you even did the winter batch. You're like right on the edge right on of the edge. <laughs> like, it's gonna be great. We're gonna to be totally. No, we're like we're, everything's next. Elon Musk. Everything is everything is you know we're on top of the world, right? Literally, it's amazing. And then all of a sudden, right? So right, January, February goes by. Everything is great. And it's funny because at the end of February, you know, it's fundraising season for Y Combinator companies is typically the, the the last month, right? So you know you finish your product, you know you get some customers, and then you know you raise some money, raise your first round. And so they gear you up basically in March um, at the end of the batch to raise money. So in, in February, you know, one of our group partners sets us down and says, look, guys, you want to be conservative with equity. You know, you don't want to you know, raise too much money. You want to be you know, smart, raise from the best possible investors you can get. Right. There's all there's a lot of money out there. It's a, it's a you know, really bright future. Just, you know, just just make sure that, that you're being smart about it and doing it the right way. And we took that at the top of the world, Greg, top of the world. top of the world, be conservative, nothing to worry this about. This is fantastic, right? Nothing to worry about. We've got Y Combinator's backing. We're going to raise a bunch of money. We're going to be great. Well, there's this thing called COVID. I bet you haven't heard of it. <laughs> it's, it's happening overseas. It's starting to trickle into, you know, the U.S. And, and, and if you remember the progression of COVID, it's coming in, of course, you know, from the east and it's going east to west, right? And it's hitting, the first thing it hits is west coast in the United States. Seattle gets hit really hard. Right. So early the first week of March, Seattle is getting, you know, getting a bunch of COVID cases. People are freaking out. Right. Uh, San Francisco, I think, was the second major city in the country to get COVID. And we're in San Francisco. Right. So now all of a sudden people are trying to panic. 
right? And I remember, you know, the mayor of SF says, you know, we're putting in shelter in place. You can't be in person anymore. So why, YC, of course, this is there's no playbook for this, right? YC is winging it just as much as everybody else is. So we get on a Zoom call like two weeks later. Keep in mind, it's a Zoom call because we can't even be in person anymore. The same guy who told us, you know, look, you got to be, you know, super conservative with equity. He says, you got to raise as much money as you can, as fast as you can from whomever you can. And I mean, and that was the right advice at the time. Don't get me wrong. He, he was giving good advice. But it was funny because I'm scratching my head going, didn't you say the exact opposite, you know, just two weeks ago, <laughs> you know? But that's the startup world. You know, you've got to be adaptable and you've got to be able to, to make decisions, you know, with short notice and, you know, based on the information you have. And um, that was our world. So we started our fundraise, you know, we officially started the fundraise, like, basically the day that the markets collapsed. I think they call it Black Monday 2020. Things were just chaos. I mean, just like we had investors, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, if you have a deal, you know, a handshake deal, that it really means everything. It's very much kind of a word of mouth sort of, sort of uh, trust situation. We had investors, you know, who would never have done this before and saying, look, I'm super sorry, but like my stock portfolio went down 40, 50%. I, I can't write the check anymore. You know, financially, it's not a smart idea. Um, and it, it was, you know, it was crazy. Like I never, never forget it. It was the craziest time. Yeah. I, I, you know, I appreciate you telling that story because I mean, I, you know, I know COVID obviously serious business and it's been a scary time, but I, you know, I think for you and your co-founder, I mean, and certainly your business, what a, what an interesting kind of, you know, unfortunate, um, but interesting uh, nonetheless kind of time to be, time to be starting your business. Uh, and, and Hey, look, here we are. What is it? 2023. We're, we're all still here. You're still here uh, and you and you have a, a, a very successful startup. So let's talk, talk a little bit more about kind of like, you know, what is alloy automation? I, I know you and I've touched on it a little bit before and the fascinating stuff, but, but talk a little bit more about the product and maybe talk a little bit about if you, if you can, you know, kind of how you built it. I mean, the, the architecture, some of those, some of those core concepts, we are on the big ideas and app architecture podcast, by the way, or, or, so we have to do at some point talk about uh, talk about the tech, but uh, yeah, just a, a little bit more about kind of how you built it and and, and what problems it's solving. So initially, we set out right, you know, we're a commerce focused company. We set out to solve problem for merchants, and so we got into YC. We were, we were you know initially selling the product. It was really all geared towards merchants, right? A lot of the store store owners that you know want to operate, they, they might be operating a mid to enterprise size company. And they're saying, look, you know, I've got a whole bunch of tools. I want to connect those together. So we're solving that problem for them. They don't, they don't need to hire an engineer for that. Uh, we've got some great customers using the product today. I mean, folks like Burberry and many others, Murad and so forth, that are, are using this. And, and those are some of the larger companies. We have many small merchants as well being powered by Alloy. Um, we were hearing over the past uh, several, several years um, has been that a lot of our partners, so the integrations actually that we are connecting for our merchants, were saying to us, look, you have these integrations. We have, you know, huge library today. We have over 200 integrations in the commerce space today. It's an unparalleled library for anybody in commerce. And uh, we were hearing this over and over and over again. And so we, we were hearing that the, these businesses, these partners of ours, were saying, we want to actually leverage your technology to power our own integrations. So that got us thinking. And so we actually launched another product using the same technology stack, the same integrations that we've built, but on top of the existing technology called Alloy Embedded. And what that does, that allows software businesses to natively embed our technology in the form of an SDK in their product. So for instance, if you want to say, look, I want to build an integration to Shopify or Attentive or e-commerce, you know, that might take you several weeks or months or whatever to build that in-house. You're dealing with authentication, rate limits, and of course, all the mappings and so forth for the APIs. You can do that in a matter of hours with Alloy Embedded. And so you just pop in our SDK and you're off to the races. 
Uh, and so that's that, that's our second offering. So we have our merchant-facing product, Alloy Automation. We have our business-facing product, Alloy Embedded. But at the core, we are all about commerce, helping people to enable integrations and to save time and money from building these things in-house where you'd normally need to outsource that to an engineer. You can do that in a lower no-code environment um, that'll really you know, save you a lot of time and you know, let you focus on things that are more important to your core bottom line. Yeah, and I think one of the, you know, we get back into the tech, but I think, you know, one of the things that I, I think is so interesting, given kind of not only what you're doing, but really the timing in which you did it, is we talked a little bit about this before. You know, COVID obviously was a super disruptive force in, and, and not just COVID as it turns out. I mean, just I think the macroeconomic conditions over the last, you know, three months with the war in Ukraine and all these other things. I mean, it's just, it's been a tough time in tech. It's been a tough time for businesses as, as they've had to navigate you know, all of the kind of the changing world dynamics, economics, et cetera. But I think for, for y'all, you know, where it, it sounds like to me, and do correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly from previous conversations, I mean, you're, and you kind of hinted at it just now, I mean, driving efficiency, really, you know, your, your, your solution, you know, is doing things simply for people that, you know, if you didn't exist, they'd have to go build them or build these things themselves. So I think, you know, one of the questions I asked earlier, and, and I, I think we kind of we probably already know the answer, we can guess the answer, but, you know, how has COVID impacted the business or how have all these things um, kind of impacted the business? Because one would expect that given what you're doing, it maybe it hadn't been as painful as it could have been. Well, it's a great question because, uh, you know, if you would have asked me in March 2020, I would, would have been very you know, <laughs> bleak outlook and said, you know, the world's ending. Um, Why did I do this? Quite literally. <laughs> so... <laughs> But it's been interesting in the sense that um, think about what commerce, uh, you know, what, what happened in commerce during COVID, right? What happened was uh, this massive tailwind shift to focus on e-commerce, right? People were, you know, who were historically going into, you know, a, a shop or boutique shop online, I'm, I'm sorry, in person rather, they, they could not do that anymore, right? And so as a result, um, you know, because you, you know, there were shelter in place orders and all these sort of things in, in effect, you had to go online. So these businesses also had to shift, right? So you know, there's always been Amazon and, and many other folks you know, who have been you know, champions on online commerce. That's not changing. But the shift that actually happened in, in, in COVID was the fact that a lot of these smaller retailers also moved online. And so when they were moving online, who's powering those integrations? Like, I mean, because what, what's happening is when you operate a, you know, an e-commerce store, you're, not, you're, never, you're never just saying, look, I have a Shopify store and that's it. You have all these other ancillary applications that are powering your abandoned checkouts, your text messaging, your email flows, all these sort of things that are part of that commerce experience online are being powered by other applications. And so during that kind of migration to e-commerce over the past uh, you know, few years now, um, Alloy was actually in a very interesting position because we were commerce focused. So we were able to take advantage of those tailwinds. Um, and then now, you know, of course, we have this, this you know, interesting environment um, which you know has it, been challenging definitely for tech in the sense that there's been uh, a lot of, kind of a lot of ups and downs, um, but folks are really now of course prioritizing the prioritizing the product features because they're saying look we we need to pump out more features that are helpful for our customers at the same time many of those features often are integrations right and so you know you have companies that have smaller budgets they 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 unfortunately don't have you know the resources they had one two years ago. They're saying, look, we still need to make ends meet. We still need to, you know, to to, to drive drive business, um, and our customers are demanding you know, integrations to NetSuite or whatever else they're looking to do. But we don't have the resources in house to do it, and so that's a really interesting position where Alloy comes in, and we say, look, on our embedded product, we can save you a tremendous amount of time and, of course, money uh, by having us power that technology for you. 
Yeah, it's it's real. I mean, I, that's why again, I, I was so looking forward to this conversation because I think um, the, just the timing of, of your whole story is so interesting, given everything else. I mean, there aren't too many people who exit YC, you know, literally a month before this all happens, and then happen to have a startup that that perhaps thrives in, you know, in this thing. You know, just as a quick note about Cockroach, I think we kind of found something very interesting as well. You know, we're obviously this database that's that's multi-region and can do all these things and resilience and horizontally scalable and all this other stuff. And we kind of found a similar thing. You know, here the world is 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 going crazy. Uh, but but some businesses that were were online, um, you know, we're seeing this huge spike in traffic and growth. And, you know, the technologies they were using were kind of I don't know, not able to scale as easily. And, and, and so for us, thankfully, you know, although personally very challenging from a business perspective, you know, we saw, I think, considerable growth over this time too. So it's, it's been pretty neat. So let's, let's shift if we can, uh, just to, to some of the architecture. I mean, you know, how, what do you guys, what's the kind of the, the stack like, what have you, what's it built on? And then maybe if you're, if you're comfortable sharing, um, you know, in three years, did you did you start out down one path and realize, oh, whoops, architecturally, we need to maybe do something here? I mean, just not only we want to hear what you've done, but you know, maybe where there's some lessons learned along the way, some gotchas that that you weren't expecting. I, I would be lying if I said there were no lessons learned. So plenty of things we've learned over the past, you know, several years, things we've done right and things we've you know not done so right. Um, but I mean, at the core, right? So our tech is, you know, we were I mean, we're big believers in JavaScript, right? So the technology itself and a lot of TypeScript on the front end, and the back end. Um, you know, it's been really great, obviously, because we can have folks to really be full stack engineers and kind of pivot around very quickly. That's been fantastic for us. Um, in terms of the infra itself, um, so we've got to get on Cockroach one of these days. We unfortunately are not at this point in time, but I think you are making a strong argument and we've had some calls <laughs> offline about this. So one of these days, you know, that's, that's maybe that's my answer to the next three years, actually. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Got it right. Uh, so, you know, de- uh, in terms of our database, we're on Mongo at the moment. Um, so we're Mongo and DynamoDB, uh, and, and so we use kind of Dynamo for our caching because, in that way, you know, we think think about the business, right? Uh, we are t- ingesting a lot of information, right? There's a tremendous amount of information coming in because we are subscribing to all these events, right? So, for example, what I mean by that is we're subscribing to, you know, a, a, a merchant or, or a customer might say, "Look, I, I want to say when when a checkout is created in Shopify." Do this and this and this. And so we're subscribing to all the events possible to make sure that we can listen in and then take the action accordingly. And so if you think about that for a second, uh, obviously we're ingesting this information. We need to you know, store it temporarily in caching mechanism and then you know send it out somewhere else. Uh, so using you know Dynamo for a lot of the caching, using Mongo as kind of our core database um, for uh, just you know the the, the, just the general kind of day-to-day operations of the business. Um, or in AWS, so we've got a multi-region architecture on AWS. So we've got a you know, some, some data centers on the East Coast, uh, in North Virginia, and then the, the uh, Western Oregon region, um, and, you know, hopefully international region as well, coming very soon. Um, and, you know, that is obviously because we service customers really all, really all over the place. And, you know, commerce doesn't sleep. You've got, you know, we're not just servicing, of course, the customers who purchase Alloy. We're also servicing their end customers, right? Their end customers being end users or merchants. And those folks could be anywhere. I mean, those folks can literally be anywhere. So uh, we've got, you know, some great customers like Burberry, which, of course, is in the, you know, in the UK. We've got folks like Amazon, which have, you know, is a massive company that they're a customer of ours, and they're all over the place. So, um, you know, being able to, uh, to have that multi-region architecture has been tremendous for us. Um, that's been a big focus for us. And then uh, a lot of Kubernetes, you know, in technology, we use a lot of Kubernetes. And 
you know, we, we are looking in the, in, the, in the future and kind of going back to your three-year comment, a big focus of ours now is, you know, how do we take some of this stack and actually move it to serverless? Uh, we've looked at this before in the past. Um, it's, it's an interesting challenge for us because, uh, you know, there, there's, there's serverless, obviously, these are on-demand resources. So there's resources that, uh, you know, they kind of spin up and spin down as, as you need them. And there is a certain degree of, of latency involved with that if you're needing to warm, warm something up quickly. Uh, but we are looking at ways to possibly um, you know, to, to get around that and to kind of you know, move off some of our technology from you know, just pure uh, kind of standards and the server-based Kubernetes infrastructure into kind of a hybrid architecture moving forward. It's really interesting. So, you know, at Cockroach, we talk a lot about serverless. And I think serverless is one of those, those kind of words that maybe mean different things to different people. So... You know, and, and certainly Amazon, uh, I did a talk on serverless, like database stuff a, a while ago. And my recollection of getting prepped for that is that, you know, Amazon, I think in a lot of ways kind of started the serverless game with Lambda. And so at least in my mind, like early days, like serverless meant Lambda, but I think it's, it, it may very well have, and I think has evolved beyond that for, for y'all, what is, what is, or what serverless features or functions are you leveraging? You know, or, or kind of what what piece of the puzzle is it? Because it's not probably at the persistence layer, I wouldn't imagine, but more at the like, hey, I've got to go ingest this event or or do some kind of you know transformation. I mean, tell me, tell us a little bit, not me. Well, you tell me, but tell us, um, all of yeah, us. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, you've got. I mean, so you know, two of the kind of services that come to mind. You're spot on, obviously, on Lambda. Lambda, Amazon started the whole service revolution with with Lambda itself. Um, you've got things like Fargate as well, right? That you know is, is a big service and. For those folks who don't know much about Fargate, um, it's a you know, tool that basically lets you kind of do on-demand queries. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're basically spinning up kind of pods on demand as, as to saying, look, I'm going to have a dedicated cluster and have, you know, all these resources that are, are kind of, you know, already predefined. Uh, and so that's, that, that's something we're looking into actually as well, because um, currently, you know, we, we use uh, you know, EKS, the, the Amazon uh, service you know, to manage Kubernetes, but we're looking to kind of offboard some of our, our info to that, uh, you know, the, the Fargate tool and, and also Lambda. Uh, specifically kind of what we're looking at is, is we're saying, well, you know, how do we take some of these like longer running jobs or, and, and close on our Kubernetes cluster? Because we, we have, a, we have a, a mix of jobs that come into Alloy, right? You have some jobs, and this is, this is a complex problem in the world. We're always thinking about how to solve this. Um, you know, you've, got, you've got some jobs that might be, well, let me rephrase. Here's an example. So a customer might come to you and say, I want to do two things. I want to say, I want to sync all the historical orders from my store to my application. I've got you know, 10 million orders. It's a lot of data, right? And it's not, it's not just that it's a lot of data, but we're bound by rate limits. So for example, if we're pulling from Shopify, there's a rate limit. We've got to you know, retry and we've got to wait and paginate. It's, it's a long deal, right? It's, it's not going to happen in, in 10 seconds, right? So that could take, you know, that could very well take, if we're just saying 10 million orders, that maybe might take 10 hours. I mean, don't, don't quote me on that, but you know, there are... Uh, could take quite a long time, and uh, and so what's happening there is is if we kill the server, right? That job gets killed in the middle of the job. Not a good thing. Um, so, <laughs> and that's never happened. That has never happened at Alloy Automation. Never. <laughs> so, so long story short, we, we we've you know thought a lot about how to handle that sort of situation, and then conversely, we've got jobs that are real quick. Hey, look! When an order comes in, stream you know that one single order to another platform, or do this or that or whatever. Something really straightforward, right? And that might take I don't know, hundred milliseconds, less than that, right? So you've got this polar opposite world where you've got a tremendous amount amount going on in the sense that you know you could have a, a ten hour or ten day you know long 
execution. And then you've got a, a scenario where the job might run for 10 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds. So balancing that is a really interesting thing for us. And so we're saying to ourselves, well, you know, how do we persist some of those larger jobs right, on, our, on maybe our core Kubernetes uh, infra you know, for the long term for those kind of jobs? But then we offboard some of the more uh, you know, simpler jobs to like a server of technology. Currently, that's all running in the same queue in the sense that we have, you know, we have different kind of worker jobs, worker pods that do uh, designated uh, work. But we're looking to say, how do we offboard and kind of fragment that into, into to using serverless? I think serverless is a tremendous uh, opportunity for those softer, smaller running jobs where we can just turn on, turn off, and we're done. Yeah, and I think so too, you know. And if I'm curious on your thoughts on this, or if this is something y'all getting into, you know, because we're building kind of this serverless version of our database. And I think one of the things that that for us has changed is people, you know, our customers want to consume things in a different way than they're used to, you know, with, I mean, EKS and, and, and Kubernetes services are a little bit like this, but this idea is, you know, you may not really have a sense of what your scale is going to be or, you know, how much compute or storage you're going to need. And so kind of planning planning that infrastructure for the highs and lows can be difficult. I mean, I know obviously Kubernetes can scale up and scale down, but it kind of one of the one of the benefits of serverless, it seems to us or to me, is that, you know, you, can, you begin to pay a little bit more kind of by consumption as opposed to, you know, to buy Node or some of these other things. So, you know, perhaps maybe a little bit more predictability and certainly, you know, instead of having this giant thing that's always on that maybe isn't being used for some reason, you know, you can scale down to almost nothing and then, you know, okay, a job comes in. I need to execute this small batch very quickly, spin up, do my thing and then go away. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not paying to keep the lights on. I mean, do you guys, y'all think about some of the kind of the efficiency there almost from a cost perspective, or is that, that not a it's big a, it's driver? It's a big driver. It's, it's, it's the very top of mind. You know, you think about um, kind of what we do, right. Is uh, you know, it's, it's, it, Different times of the year, different different you know different uh, times when folks are planning things. Like Black Friday, obviously, you know, you're gonna have a lot more traffic on Black Friday than you're gonna have in the middle of you know of June one day, right? Because for commerce, Black Friday is a big time holiday season, right? Another big time. And so for us, you know, to be able to quickly scale up based on the demand uh, is tremendous. I mean, I mean, serverless is, is you know, it's built as you know infinitely scalable, right? So you're really not worrying about, gosh, you know, am I gonna have to set up you know this monitoring system and uh, you know, worry about uh, you know, the, the cluster having a problem at certain capacity. Um, obviously, those things are, are, are problems we've solved, and you know, you know we've worked around around the limitations of, of a non-serverless architecture. Um, but as we, we look to you know, as we add more and more users, and you know, we encounter more and more complex problems, I, I think that the scalability and also the cost is, is fantastic. Um, it's you know, we're 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 in a recession. Whatever the government says, I think we're in a recession. And so you know, everyone's thinking <laughs> about cost cutting and being efficient with uh, you know with capital. If they say it, it must be true, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, one another because I know we've talked a little bit about it. You mentioned you're, you're building on top of it, um, the Kubernetes, um, and and I want to get you in trouble here, but um, Kubernetes is one I, I maybe not as dramatically so as as other technology uh, topics, but I, there there to me seems to be a little bit of religious fervor here. Like people either love it and it, it's you know it's it's God's gift to everything. Some people, you know, I think are starting to maybe uh, tire of it. I mean, what's been your journey? Kubernetes is is not easy. I, I, you know, and I think you have to have, you know, quite a bit of skill, you know, internally or skill you can rely on externally to kind of help manage. What, what's been your journey with Kubernetes? Just out of curiosity. I mean, is it is it something y'all have had some great resources that knew it well? Has it been kind of a learning journey? I'm just kind of curious how 
kind of what your overall experience and then kind of thinking on, on Kubernetes as a tech is? Yeah, I think we're biased. I mean, in the sense that, you know, we started on Kubernetes, right? So I think had we not started on Kubernetes, I might have a very different response to you in the sense that, you know, if we're migrating or God knows what, you know, that there's, there's uh, a lot of work involved in that. But we, we had an intentional decision in the beginning to say, look, we want to make you know, the, the most scalable infrastructure as possible. And Kubernetes was a great solution for that. Uh, there, there's certainly a learning curve. You know, I mean, there, there absolutely is. Um, but, uh, you know, how we've kind of architected our system is we've got, you know, so we've got, you know, the, the core kind of API running in, you know, one group. We've got what we call uh, worker pods, and those pods are running another group, and, th- and that is handling the kind of the day-to-day jobs. We have another group entirely called like our, our long-running queue, and that's what handles those, you know, many, you know, possibly, you know, 10-day or 10-hour sort of jobs, right? So we, we've, we've been able to take advantage of that uh, substantially because it's just baked in. You know, it's really easy to spin those up. Um, Versus, you know, setting, setting up an infrastructure around that, building it yourself, is, is, is very difficult. So we've been able to just use this tech. Uh, and for our business, it's been really great. I, I think it depends on the type of business you're operating. You know, I mean, if, if, if you're a, a kind of a more standard, you know, web application where you're not maybe doing, you know, job orchestration and really complex stuff like we're up to, um, you probably don't need it. I mean, it's probably overkill. You can probably honestly be really effective with, with, a, with a serverless tool like Lambda and only rely on that or... Or have, you know, just an EC2 instance that does something great for you. Um, but our infra is a little bit more complex. Yeah, it's it's just so funny because, you know, in my role as, as head of solutions engineering, sales engineering, you know, I get to talk with, with companies all over the place and, and you know, big and small startups and, you know, very large enterprises. And it, it's funny sometimes you get, you talk to folks who just get enamored with the technology, you know, because, you know, they've heard about it and they want to kind of bring it into their organization or their CIO or CTO or CEO says, Hey, I heard of this thing and we got to push this thing down. You know, what it ends up, what we end up encountering is, you know, um, in particular with Kubernetes, I think, because, you know, we're a database and you can run it on top of Kubernetes, but, you know, we use stateful sets and it's a stateful service, which is not traditional Kubernetes, but you end up getting folks who are like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to run your database on Kubernetes. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Do you have a lot of experience with Kubernetes? No, no, not not too much. And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, learning a new database technology is one thing, but you know, trying to to combine that with something I think as complicated as Kubernetes is like, eh, it might be that might be a a rather tall tall order. Um, one other thing I know you and I talked about before, and, and just kind of curious, you know, you're coming to us live from Hawaii. Um, and and I know when we talked previously, you know, you, you I think you, you guys are using regions in in the west coast of the U.S. and west coast of East. You know, latency between latency is like a thing, right? I mean, the speed of light is a thing. Uh, we can only get your packets so far, so fast. Um, and I know you you briefly mentioned, you know, you're kind of thinking about maybe expanding into into European data centers. I mean, how obviously given cockroach, you know, we like to talk about multi-region and resiliency and latency and all those things. I mean, how, how have you all managed? Kind of your infrastructure, latency, customer experience, knowing that, you know, they're in, in different places and, and depending how far you are from those places, different things can happen. Is that something you all think about or is that just what cockroach people think about? No, no, we think about it. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I was in Dubai last year. It was funny. So I was in Dubai last year. We had actually an offsite there and uh, we did not have a multi-region architecture back then. And I remember sitting there and I was actually, I was, you know, we were, we were working. We had, you know, a bunch of our folks there. I was going, gosh, guys, our site is so slow. And they're like, yeah, it's because, you know, you're running out of North Virginia. I was like, oh, geez, okay, okay. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely top of mind. Um, I'm in Hawaii for the, for, the, you know, for the winter, snowbird here. So 
very happy. I've got nice weather over here. But, um, you know, uh, Hawaii is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, Hawaii, Hawaii is a, a funny situation because there, there's not a data center in Hawaii. So, uh, you're, you know, we're the closest thing to us is we're proxying through um, Oregon, right, which is the closest location, I think, geographically, uh, or California, one of these data centers. But there is nothing, you know, really closer. But uh, if you're, you know, if you're a customer, uh, anywhere in the, you know, the contiguous United States, um, having you know, having a close data center to you is really is really important for uh, for latency, uh, and it's very very top of mind for enterprise customers. Um, you know, example of this is Amazon, right? We work with Amazon, and you know, for them, they 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 need it. I mean, they have to have you know a certain degree of latency as part of an SLA. Uh, so you know, we we are very intentional on that. And, and going back to um, actually the serverless component as well, that's another great reason. Uh, to use serverless because serverless, uh, I believe, is actually has this kind of multi-region architecture baked in. So when you you know fire a lambda function, it's triggering off you know whatever is the closest data center to you. You're not even worrying about that, which is really really neat. Um, if you're using a more traditional architecture like ourselves, uh, you're using a tool like you know Amazon Global Accelerator, which will basically proxy that information over to the nearest data center to you. So if I'm in Hawaii, for instance, it's going to route that information over to, for example, our Oregon region. If I'm, you know, in, in let's say, uh, you, know, you know, Kansas or shouldn't uh, use that, uh, Boston, for instance, is going to route us over to, you know, the East Coast location. So it intelligently knows that. But that again is, is you know, more intentional. We are thinking about that, and that is something that, that is top of mind for us. Um, but I think you know, Lambda and many of these, you know, serverless tools have it baked in. So it's a tremendous reason for us to, you know, leverage that further. It's interesting. So we had our. Um kind of our, our revenue kind of kickoff, uh, revenue team kickoff this year. And our, our CEO, Spencer, came down and, and mentioned something which which I, maybe is, is a, a thing we'll start to hear in the world, or maybe it's already out there. But this idea of almost regionless, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, serverless is that way, right? I mean, um, it, it's no longer about, you know, which regions are you in? You don't even have to think about regions really anymore when you get to a certain level. Maybe you shouldn't be thinking about them. I just have some endpoint. I know it's always going to be up. I know it's always going to serve me correct data. It's going to be fast, you know, and that could be anywhere. And I don't have to kind of consume myself with, you know, worrying about if the lights are still on in rest in Virginia or, or wherever that data center is in Oregon. Do you, what do you guys think about, uh, I mean, have you been in situations where, and do you test for, hey, you know, this region's out of out of service or are you are you routinely taking regions out of service in order to do, you know, stack updates? What's what's been your experience there? And I, it may not be something everybody does. Maybe y'all aren't doing. I'm just curious if that's something that comes into play. It's something we're looking at. I mean, how our system typically works is so, you know, how we've addressed kind of uh, some of the, the actually concerns I mentioned before about, you know, what happens when a job, you know, gets shut down in the middle of an update, right? I mean, how we handle that is, uh, so, so we will actually notify our pods. We'll say, look, you know, you're running, for example, a, a long-running job, right? We know this is going to take, you know, you're looking to grab 10 million records, it might take 10 hours. We, we, we put that on dedicated infra, right? That, that, that's what I was saying before about that, kind of that that the other set of pods that we have. And so we'll, we'll put that on the other set of pods. And then we'll, we'll notify that set of pods and say, hey, look, you have nine days to finish, finish the, these jobs. Go figure it out. If you don't figure it out, there's an update coming. And you're going to get shut up, shut down. And part of our, you know, SLAs and and you know our, our business facing, you know, uh, documentation and so forth is what we're telling folks: these things are not going to run infinitely because they can't, right? We can't, you know, can't run a job for you for three days or you know. It costs you a little bit of money if you did too. Exactly, and also you know, other customers would be affected, right? Um, so what we're saying is, look, you know, there is a time limit, um, but we we're, we're going to power it down. 
Uh, and then for, you know, for instance, uh, for like maybe the shorter jobs, so the things that are, you know, just when the order comes in, do this, whatever, we give it, you know, a, a, a much shorter number. You know, I think it's like, like five minutes, or 10 minutes, or something reasonable offhand. Say, look, you know, hey guys, you know, here's the jobs, you know, just, just know, you know, when I say, hey guys, I mean the pods. Um, hey pods, you know, so you know, we have um, this new update coming in. Time to start powering off. So they finish their jobs. And then we, we power that, that that off gracefully. And that's replaced by a brand new um, a, a brand new pod that has the updated code base, right? So what, what's nice about that is we don't really necessarily need to worry about, okay, we got to turn off North Virginia, proxy through Oregon, turn Oregon back on after it's done. And that's actually, that's built into Kubernetes. So that's another reason we like Kubernetes. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm sure our thinking will continue to evolve, you know, as we, as we, encounter more challenging situations well i'm sure just like uh just like i have i mean you know it's amazing you, you think one thing is the right way to do it and and then you know a couple of years later who knows where the it's always a better way uh, right there's always see it doesn't seem that way there's always some new thing on the horizon some new better way well maybe that's a that's a good segue i know we're kind of running up on time and you've been very very generous uh to, to spend this amount of time with us you know maybe if you don't mind leave us with kind of you know, final thought about what, you know, you're looking forward to, to this year, whether it's, it's personally or, or professionally at Alloy, just would, would love to hear kind of what you're, what you're excited about going into 2023 here. Well, I'm always excited about our tech. Our tech is, you know, I think it's really, it's a challenging problem. And I think, you know, I'm an engineer by trade. I like solving challenging problems and our team loves solving challenging problems. So that's always a big thing for us. Um, but what I'm really excited about, honestly, is um, hiring more people. You know, I mean, we're we're growing the team. We're we're in an interesting position in the sense that uh, we were able to, to raise money. Fortunately, actually, before the economy started to collapse last year, so we're in a good position. And um, you know, we're we're, we're still hiring we have many many open roles. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's a good time for us in the sense that unfortunately, a lot of other companies are laying off. Um, but we're we're able to you know to have the opportunity to to hire more, and so that it's really been fantastic. So I'm I'm excited to grow the team. You know, get more folks, get more talented folks on the team. Um, and, and, you know, the company and everybody, we all level up together, right? So it's a win-win situation for everybody. And, uh, you know, super thrilled about that. Well, Greg, that was awesome. I really, really, really enjoyed the conversation. Learned so much. You've got such, like I said at the beginning, I think such a fascinating founding story. Uh, you guys are building great tech uh, at the right time. So I really, really enjoyed spending time together. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll get you to consider Cockroach sometime in the near future. But we won't, we won't push that hard. Come on, that's on our next three years roadmap that we just discussed. <laughs> you got me. That's all, that's all we ask. Just get it on the roadmap. All right, Greg, thanks so much. Thanks, Tim. Thanks again for joining us on the Big Ideas and App Architecture podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, take a moment, leave us a review, give us five stars, tell us what you think. It would be certainly much appreciated. Look forward to seeing you again every Tuesday. Bye. <laughs>